Good morning. How are you all doing? You sleep well last night? Praise God. I slept pretty good too. Um, I'm excited to be here and hanging with uh, Corey and the church uh, body here. Um, man, it's so good to see you guys. Uh, the the It's been a good time. We went to a conference um, doing ministry well. It was a great conference. Um, it was very hot. I brought two jackets because the last time I was here, there was like a lot of snow and I was freezing. And I said, I'm bringing two this time and I get here and it was pretty much like an oven. I couldn't believe, believe it. So the title of the message today is, You Are Now Entering the Mission Field. Does it sound good? If I would have seen your message, I would have named it, Go Make Jesus Known. It's the same thing. I like it. Um, so my name is David Zavala. I'm the husband of one wife. Praise the Lord. My wife's name is uh, Pornima, and her friends call her Twinkle. You know, uh, we met in Uganda. I had just spent some time in Sudan, about four months, and I was painting camouflage on all of the buildings because a Russian plane would uh, fly by about uh, at the altitude of 30,000 feet and would drop bombs out, and um, they would sometimes hit our compound. We even lost one chaplain. So that's why I was putting camouflage on all the roofs. They didn't tell me until later that the, the Antonov plane can't aim. They drop the bombs and the wind just takes it wherever it wants to go anyway. But any, nevertheless, we got it painted. But after being on these hot tin roofs for, um, uh, for about four months, uh, doing all the camouflage, um, I, I was ready for a hot shower and some meat, right? Because in Sudan, it's, it's always coldish showers and grains. I was eating like seven different kinds of grains. If you guys ever had buckwheat, it's not too bad. Um, but anyway, uh, so I'm, I'm now back in Kampala and uh, I've had my hot shower and it's time to get some food, right? And so I go to this Italian place and I order all this food and I'm thinking, that, um, you know, I'm not going to tell anyone where I'm at. I'm just going to enjoy this meal. And my colleague calls me and says, you know, I need your keys to the guest house so I can get into the guest house. And I said, okay, here's where I'm at. So she came, and I was hoping she would come, and I'd give her the keys before the food came, but no luck. Uh, she comes, all this food comes. She goes, oh, are you expecting people? <laughs> I go, no, I'm not, I'm not expecting anybody. I just want to eat a variety of different things and meats and stuff. And uh, the Italian food places are awesome in, in Africa. They have like T-bone steaks. It's wonderful. But in, in any case, when she came in, uh, she had brought her new friend, and her name was Pornima. And this uh, woman was helping uh, my colleague uh, to look inside of the hospitals and see how they ran. And uh, so that was the first time that um, I got to see Twinkle. I'm sure it wasn't love at first sight. I had burns on my face from being on the hot tin roof in Sudan, and I had this neck beard. Oh, never mind. I don't want to talk about the neck beard. But I I'm sure it wasn't love at first sight. So we had both of our kids in, uh, in Kenya, and um, our kids grew up there, and um, uh, they're 12 and 15, Bianca and Sophia. So... I received my calling to go to Africa at a prayer meeting. Have you guys ever been to a prayer meeting? Praise the Lord. 
So be careful when you go to these prayer meetings. You know, I was going to the prayer meeting to pray for the needs of the five who had been sent out from our church, and um, uh, we were going to pray for their needs. And also they had very good apple pie. Praise the Lord. So one of the prayer requests that, that came down from the pastor there was they need, he needed someone to come and relieve him from his construction duties so that he could give himself over to teaching full-time in the Bible college. And I was, when I was laying there in the prostate position, uh, just seeking the Lord and, and praying for the needs, I felt the Lord impress it on my heart that I was the one that was supposed to go. And you guys, have you guys ever been there? Like the Lord just impresses something on you and, and you're supposed to go and do it. So I, I kind of stand up and I said, you know what, prayer team guys, I, I believe that I'm the one that's supposed to go. And it was exciting. You know, they were all happy. Oh, the Lord answers prayer so quickly, you know. And um, I was excited and I went and told my pastor, I said, pastor, guess what? I'm called to Africa to go and relieve Pastor Rob. And he looks at me and he goes, no, you're not. And he kind of walked away. <laughs> so after a while, um, I, I, uh, I, I had that problem of, uh, you know, wanting to get into ministry, wanting to go to Africa. And I began to charge like a bull, you know, just, just going. And I got some counsel and they said, Dave, stop charging like a bull. And don't swing on the other side of the pendulum where you're doing nothing. Just take it to the Lord receive your calling, and pray about it. And 10 months later, I was on the field. Praise the Lord. They say that, uh, that I was supposed to go for a three-month vision tour, and um, I never came back. So you fast forward 19 years later, and uh, you know we, my family and I have transitioned back to the States. And so we're, we're here now. But um, yeah, the Lord speaks to his kids. Uh, after three years in Uganda, my wife and I had a calling to serve in Kenya. My calling was to basically show up, and she had a calling to work at an orphanage where there was about 400 orphans, and she's a doctor, so she would be ministering that kind of care to these orphans, and um, it was great. We had a, a, a good time. You know, who doesn't love orphans? We got to pick them up and bless them and, and play with them. Um, and then after about a year of plowing the field, we started uh, um, a Calvary Chapel. And in, uh, 2000, in 2005, the Calvary Chapel started. In 2008, we had our first East African Pastors Conference. And at this conference, there was about eight people in attendance, eight, eight senior pastors in attendance. Not very many, right? Eight Calvary Chapel senior pastors. And... Um, uh, you fast forward to 2020, this last January, we had over 300 pastors in attendance, you know. Um, so it's exciting just to see the movement growing. Um, it's exciting to be just a small part of that movement as it grows. Um, so um, I was involved in church planting and starting a Bible college that's an affiliate of Calvary Chapel, uh, uh, um, Marietta. And um, I pastored from 2005 to 2019, and the church was a normal, God-fearing, Bible-teaching church, and it was used as a hub to train up the body, and we would send out believers that had a calling to go and plant churches. And uh, during this time, we planted seven churches. We have five in Kenya, you know, Mombasa, Thika, Kawangwale, uh, Gong Hills, uh, in our church, Calvary Chapel, Nairobi. 
one in the Democratic Republic of Congo. And um, that one was uh, a very interesting how it all played out. Um, I was at church one afternoon, and uh, this young man comes in and says, you know, Pastor, I'm a refugee from uh, the DRC. I had to flee for my life, and uh, I was in Tanzania, now I'm here in Kenya. He says, I want to learn the Word of God and bring the Word of God back to my people. And uh, can I join your Bible college for free? And we said, of course, you're exactly the kind of people that we want to invest in. So he joined our Bible college. He, he served at our church. And in June of 2010, uh, we sent him out to plant the church. And it's, it's been a, um, a good venture of faith for sure. Uh, the Lord has provided land and a, um, a church building. And he's got about 500 people attending his church. And um, this church, you know, the Bible tells tells us to teach others who will teach others. And this church um, also has eight church plants that have come out of his church. Praise the Lord. Um, so I'll be happy to share more about this stuff uh, this evening uh, during the barbecue. We'll have time of question and answers. But yeah, um, my family and I had a calling to transition back to the States. You know, our kids uh, were getting older, and we wanted to give them a a good education, and we're finding it cheaper to be in the States to, to get them that good education. So that's, that's one of the reasons why we decided to come back. The other reason was is that the Lord was raising up somebody in our fellowship um, who could take over the work. And uh, this person also eventually um, uh, saw the Lord doing that work in his life. So we raised up a national, and he, he took over Calvary Chapel in Nairobi. And uh, as I transitioned out of Calvary Chapel, Nairobi, um, uh, they're staying the course. They're still teaching verse by verse through the whole counsel of God. You know, there's sometimes when you transition out, you get something a little different. Well, this is ex exactly the same, you know. So currently I'm working at Far Reaching Ministries headquarters in Southern California. Um, how many people have ever heard of Far Reaching Ministries? Just curious. Okay, that's great. How many of you ever been on a missions trip with Far Reaching Ministries? There's a couple. <laughs> yeah. um, right. So uh, as I transition back to the States, I'm uh, currently uh, the foreign missions coordinator. Uh, basically, that means is I will be helping to facilitate teams to come and visit in Sudan, Uganda, Kenya, uh, Russia, and these different places, and um, I'm inviting you guys when, when the Lord is ready. You guys are ready to, you guys can come out and visit us. Um, I'm also the executive assistant to Wes, uh, so, so be praying. See what the Lord has for you guys. And um, we're working with uh, persecuted pastors. We're working with chaplains. We're uh, working with children, those that are, you know, in need of uh, food, housing, and sometimes even uh, transportation. So uh, maybe we can uh, show, run the movie, Calvary Chapel movie. I was asked by Wes Bentley to 
come to South Sudan, I'm taking photos, I'm doing video for the Calvary Chapel magazine. But more specifically, Wes asked me to come and teach the book of Psalms. You know, in America, we teach people how to live for Christ. And what I realized in the Sudan, South Sudan, you're also teaching people how to die for Christ. Because these men that are in the Chaplain's Corps have spent a whole lifetime of fighting, of struggle, have endured many hardships. Their country has been at war. When you're going through your PT, your, your physical training every morning, do you feel like God is with you? Or you're saying, God, where are you? Uh, where, God, where are you? And Sam is yelling in your ear. <laughs> and you're going like, Lord, help me. For the baptism that says to all of the world, as these people would come and give their lives to Christ, many of them being killed, many of them being imprisoned, many of them having their lands taken. Now baptism was something different. Now when you went and you were baptized. In America, I serve as a support chaplain with the U.S. Coast Guard. So when I arrived, they actually said, hey, listen, we want you to teach in a uniform. The uh, South Sudanese uh, Army uniform that they wear, which is very uncomfortable for me because I've never suffered like these men. I've never taken the risk that these men have taken. You think you're coming to teach something and you really get schooled here about what it means to be a man of God, to still worship, to still love, to still have joy when you have nothing but a long resume of suffering and pain and injury. And then to walk away realizing, okay, that's what it looks like to run the race. That's what it looks like to endure hardship and still be in love with Jesus. It'll change your life. It'll cause you to come home and be a thankful person. And a thankful person walks much different than the typical American who's always caught up with wanting more. You realize you really don't need more of things what we need is more of Jesus. This is an incredible investment, bringing an entire country to Jesus. Vicki Bentley goes out each week and does a minimum of 10 Bible studies with women's groups. Wherever there's a need, wherever there's a desire, she will go and teach the women. And it's been amazing. I got to go with her and watch them do that. What's the, what's the most important commandment and how yes. do I inherit eternal life? You know exactly what the man was doing. But Jesus did not waste his time arguing. A church that was built uh, by the women, they made the bricks themselves, they put up the walls, they didn't have money for a roof. And Wes and Vicky, they donated that. And they are thrilled to have their own church. The floor is, is dirt, but they don't care. They're praising God and glorifying God. Uh, through the entire uh, time they're there. So I take this back 
to America to say, if you're supporting far-reaching ministries, that is certainly, without a doubt, a worthwhile investment. This country is being changed here for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Through it all, these people have joy. Through it all, they have hope. They don't walk around despondent. They don't walk around in depression. They actually are hopeful because they actually believe there's a God who's in control. And at the end of all things, the end of losing family members, the end of having their bodies wounded continually by bullets and shrapnel, at the end of all this, Jesus Christ is King and Lord. And that's what they trust in. We will leave with that indelible mark on our hearts that we've walked among men and women who have been thrown into lion's den. And yet they just keep praying. They just keep praising. They just keep living for God in the midst of struggle and suffering. I came to teach, but I was taught about what it means to truly love God through all circumstances. God bless. May we finish as well as our South Sudanese brothers and sisters are finishing. So if you noticed, um, uh, the teacher was teaching in English. Uh, the chaplains uh, speak English, and we normally have uh, two normally senior pastors from the Calvary chapels. They'll come out and train the guys up for two weeks, and that goes on for 12 months. And then after the chaplains graduate, um, they will um, be released back to the Sudanese pe People's Liberation Army, and they'll go to the front lines and work as chaplains there. Uh, many times as they're there on the front lines, they're there for a long time. And uh, we'll, we'll see churches being planted, and the chaplains are, are busy uh, teaching at these churches. Um, so let's go ahead and show the first slide. Uh, Rob, would you like to come up and share about it? So Wes Bentley is a man of vision, and he has a vision uh, to build a castle, right? That's some big vision. I don't have vision like that. Uh, but he, needs, he needed people to come and help uh, be the hands for the vision. And, and Rob, he's really look, he's the hands. Hello, everybody. How are you today? So this is a piece-by-piece -piece vision of the castle. We have actually a big picture of the citadel that we're looking to build. But uh, this is our examples. We, we had one small example fell over. But these are our examples. Um, so this is our front gate to my house. I live there with my wife and uh, four of our ki seven kids. So we, uh, this is uh, the entrance. Those are our guard towers. When the president or the vice president, they come and stay, the guys love it because we have full access on top. This is a war-torn country. I mean, there's no joke about it. Our assistant pastor was shot behind the house. I mean, my wife and kids heard the shots and brought in the body. So it's, it, it is not a safe place. But these guys go and they share and they love on people, and they, they go out there and do the work of Christ. They stand in the way for people. When, when uh, Thomas was shot, he was domestic dispute, husband and wife. I think he only had one wife, that guy, but uh, it, that's the other thing. You know, some of them have many wives there, and they're, they don't. If the chaplain is a chaplain, he can't have but one wife, as Dave. Praise the Lord. So, um, but, uh, so this is, uh, these are our samples. So we're going to build a wall to help protect the city, to help protect the children from all the people coming in. And uh, we're going to build towers and put old retired soldiers in these towers to live and give them a house. You know, they do live in dirt huts that aren't safe. It rains, it washes them away. It's a grass roof. It doesn't last. 
all this construction we're doing, we're giving these guys the tools to learn how to do it and build their own homes, and they're going to last, and they're going to be, you know, things for their children. You know, some of the chaplains that are falling, we're building them their families' houses, three-bedroom houses, condos, <laughs> um, but uh, they're bulletproof. We've actually shot them with a 12.5-millimeter gun, and it won't go through the wall. So, I mean, they are safe. This is the church that we built. It'll hold about 1,200 people. And uh, this was a celebration celebrating it. And you can see all the officers and different people in there because they come all the time. We've had the president and the vice president stay on our compound. They come in with full wheeled tanks and everything, and they come for lunch. <laughs> it's, um, this we're feeding 15,000 kids a day. And this was just one of the times at the, at the compound. But that's a great opportunity because we send these chaplains out to confirm that these people are getting the right food that we're donating. And then they give a devotion and an outreach and all this to these people to, to give them Christ and share with them. And, you know, in a place where you only get to eat once a day, you're going to come. And so they're there to eat and we get to give them the gospel. Here's the chaplains being all dressed up for their presentation that day and this is uh, another opportunity these uniforms are really hard to get clean so we have to pay a lot of money and travel to get them cleaned we're going to try and put a dry cleaning thing there so we need a big generator and big dry cleaning machine and now we get more jobs you know we're using a hundred guys a day right now for construction it is all shut down with the covid right now so we're um Actually, I mean, right now we're trying to feed and keep your prayers because we have a container of food and medicine trying to get in. But uh, they're going to charge us with murder because we're trying to feed people because we gather them because of COVID. So we're having to basically sneak food to people, leave it at places, all kinds of things. So, but again, that's what these guys are doing. They're out there doing it whether they like it or not. So we got to take care of people. This is a school in Uganda that we've uh, just opened. It's going to house uh, 900 kids for school. This is the wall, again, for protection. It's a 1,000-acre farm that's around this, and uh, we're producing the food to feed the kids in the school and food to go up to the chaplains to help run the, the ministry up there. And uh, this is on the left here is the school built, or the dormitory. On the right is the classrooms. And it's, we actually have a church on the other side of the wall we just finished and building there. Um, chaplain John Carey from our chaplains, he was one of our first original chaplains. We sent him down there, and he's pastoring that church. And they're, they're up about 400 people when, uh, before they were, whatever they were doing with their COVID stuff there. They're, uh, we've been stuck here in the United States trying to get back. Hopefully we'll get back soon. When we take these guys out and march them, it is the most amazing thing because you'll have a hundred kids following you and they all want to be a chaplain. And uh, I mean, I have Muslims that come to me and they're like, oh, I want to be a chaplain. Are you born again? No, well, you can't be a chaplain. <laughs> I mean, you know, I mean, it's a, they, these guys are the cream of the crop. When, we, when they graduate, everybody wants them because they are integrity and pride and they're there standing. And I mean... I have stories, I know of these guys that could talk forever, but you guys want lunch, I'm sure, so. <laughs> this is the president of South Sudan when he came, and this is the commissioner. The commissioner actually right here, 
he lives right next door to us. We had to build a fence around his compound because they were threatening his life. Our guards, we have 15 armed guards that run 24-hour security, and they um, almost shot the guy trying to climb over the fence to get into his house to harm him. And that's from me to Corey away. There's enough room to drive a truck between the houses. But, um, but anyway, th these are all the people that come in, and, I mean, these guys show up constantly and stop by. But it's amazing to, you know, he rolls in. He's got bad knees now, so he doesn't go upstairs. So he, Praise the Lord. amen. <laughs> in the center, John Garang. So. Well, we we said the title of the message is, "Who remembers?" Amen. You are now entering the mission field. So today we'll be talking a little bit about the purpose of the church and the church's mission. And uh, we can look at a verse like Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25. And it says, let us consider, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as in a manner of some, but exhorting one another and so, so much the more as you see the day approaching. You know, um, we're in the end times, right? We're in the last days of the end times. We want to make sure that we, are, we keep coming together, you know, as that day is approaching. And we need to consider one another, you know, we can be preferring one another. I prefer you. No, I prefer you. No, I prefer you. And as we're preferring one another, we go out into our community and we begin to prefer each other there, right? And then we go out into maybe a different state and we, we begin to prefer people there over ourselves. And maybe they're preferring us. And it's just this wonderful thing that would happen. Imagine if everybody in the whole world preferred one another over themselves. It'd be like in the utopia here, right? And this is what, as Christians, we're commanded uh, to do. And it says, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love. And that's what it would do. It would stir up love and good works. And I like 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8, what it says. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. And this fervent love, he could have said, and above all things have love for one another. But he says fervent love, and fervent love has the idea of, uh, we can think about um, a guy that goes to the gym. You've seen these guys, right? And they have the weights, and they're, they're, they're fervently working out their muscles, right? And as they work out their muscle, what happens? It gets bigger, right? And uh, that's the same idea with love. We need to be loving each other and, and working that out. Maybe you're not good at loving, you know, Oscar the Grouch syndrome or something, you know, but we need to be loving one another, as it says here uh, um, back in Hebrews, in order to stir up love and good works, consider one another, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves, right? And it's awesome. We get to meet as a church. There was a, a few times last month that we didn't get to meet, but I, I had a wonderful time holding church services at home with my family. You know, and my daughter, Bianca, she was busy uh, leading us in worship with her ukulele. And um, 
I just loved it. It was great. Uh, we still are meeting. And uh, I noticed first service, there was a lot of people. Second service, there's a lot of people. And third service, not today, but it's coming. Don't worry. And verses like Acts uh, chapter 2, verses 40 and 42, right? Um, we see what we're supposed to continue in, right? Verse 40 of chapter 2, it says, And with many other words, he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about 3,000 souls were added to them. You know, the, the Lord adds to his church, doesn't he? Sometimes he adds to the neighbor's church, right, or the church down the street, but he's always adding to his church. And, um, you know, and, and through the Bible, we always see they heard the word and they believed, right? And then they were baptized. It's just a wonderful thing that happens there. Those who gladly received the word were baptized and 3,000 souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship and the breaking of bread and in prayers. You know, I love that. They continue steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine. The foundation has been laid. You cannot add to it. You cannot take away from it. But, but this is what we, we meet about, isn't it? And in, when we meet about this, we get to know who the Lord is. And, um, you know, just like we would get to know our friend, the more we spend time with a friend, the more we get to know them. So we like going to church, right? Anybody. Does anybody like going to church? <laughs> We like going to church. We like to be with our church family. Amen. Amen a little bit. Amen. I love being with my church family, right? Sometimes my church family is closer to me than my unsaved real, uh, normal family, right? And um, sometimes you can meet somebody from somewhere else who's a believer and it feels like you've known them for years, right? You have that um, Jesus in common, and uh, we like to stir up love and good works, amen, in the body. We like learning the apostles' doctrine. We like learning the word of God. I want to encourage us not to turn off uh, when we're, we have the word of God open, when we have the Bible open, but engage. Like there's something there for you. Even if you have the worst teacher you've ever heard, and he's the driest toast that you've ever had, there's something in the word of God for you. There's something to glean from. And we each have the word of God in our own language. You know, we don't want to take that for granted. We have it. We can read it. We can open it. We can understand it. You know, so if you, if you can't understand it, find a different translation. There's one that you'll be able to understand. You know, the, um, anyway, you get the, the drift there. So we each have the word of God in our language. We want to grow together, break bread together, pray together. I'm going to uh, quote from John MacArthur where he's talking about the purpose of the church. So the quote starts here. If God's primary purpose for the saved were loving fellowship, he would take believers immediately to heaven, where spiritual fellowship is perfect, unhindered by sin, disharmony, or loneliness. If his primary purpose for the saved were the learning of his word, he would have taken believers immediately to heaven, where his word is perfectly known and understood. If God's primary purpose for the saved were to give him praise, he would again take believers immediately to heaven where praise is perfect and unending. There's only one reason the Lord allows his church to remain here on earth. It's to seek and save the lost. Amen? Amen. 
right? Just as Christ's only reason for coming to earth was to seek and save the lost. And you'll find that in Luke chapter 19, verse 10. And in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, he declared, I also send you, right? The Father sent Jesus and the Jesus also sent us. Therefore, a believer who is not committed to winning the lost for Jesus Christ should re-examine his relationship to the Lord and certainly his divine reason for existence. Fellowship, teaching, and praise are not the mission of the church, but are rather the preparation of the church to fulfill its mission in winning the lost. And just as in athletics, training should never be confused with, this, with or substituted for actually competing in the game, which is the reason for all the training." End quote, right? So we gather together at church like athletes, right, in preparation for something, just like athletes who are in preparation for, let's say, the Olympics. When training for the Olympics, you train with purpose. These athletes train seriously, soberly, mentally, and physically. They are selective in what they eat and do not eat how they sleep, and what they do with their time. It's very important, especially if you want to bring home the gold and the honor for your country, right? They are becoming masters in their craft for a reason. So the, the churches many times are being trained and trained and trained and not going out to do what they've been trained for. The teaching is not just um, go and hear the message and feel good but it's, you know, get equipped and go. You know, my own father, he's not a believer, but because I was a pastor on the mission field, he began to go to his local church. And um, I was excited. Hey, my dad, I wonder if he's born again. And I said, Dad, why do you go to church? He goes, well, after the message, I feel good. I'm like, okay, okay. All right, I, can, I, I like that, but are you born again? He goes, no, I'm not, I'm not born again. And... Um, you know, the teaching is not just go and hear the message and feel good about it, but it, it's to get equipped and to go. The church is to be that training ground, a hub to the nations. God gave gifts to the church, Ephesians 4.11, and he himself gave some to be apostles and prophets, some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. For what? What was the purpose for these gifts? It says, for the equipping of the saints, for the building up of the saints, the apostles and the prophets. They gave us the word of God. The foundation has been laid, right? And we can be equipped. For what? What am I getting equipped for? And it goes on to say, for the work of ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, for the building up of the body of Christ, till we all come to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. So guys, first we get trained up, right? You guys are in a good church. They teach the word of God, right? Corey, Corey gets upset when there's too many stories. He wants, he wants the word of God being taught. Verse by verse, through the whole counsel of God. Amen? Is that true? Yeah, you guys have that meat going forth every Sunday, right? So first we get trained up, we get built up, get equipped in your church, maybe um, your Bible college or a small group, or maybe your personal study. Maybe you're one of those people 
that, that just can't get enough, you know, and you're at home in your personal study, just digging into the word. You know, I would encourage us all to be doing that. You know, you will starve if you only rely on Sunday service to be fed. You need to dig into your word. Let the word dig into you, right, throughout the week. And there's no reason to starve. Again, we have the word of God in our own language, right? Pastor Corey could uh, direct you to some good helps as well. So small groups, Bible college, personal study, then go out and do the work of ministry, right? Jesus says, we have all been commissioned, right? If you're a believer, that's you. You have been commissioned by God to do something. Uh, let's look at that, uh, Matthew twenty-eight sixteen. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain, which Jesus had appointed for them. Some of these scholars are saying, uh, because some doubted, they were thinking that maybe this is the time when the 11 were there plus the 500. Um, in any case, we're not sure which mountain they even met on in Galilee. And it says in verse 17, when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Verse 18, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So the Lord is with us. We have all been commissioned, right? We have all been commissioned by all authority to all nations, always, even to the end of the age. So this is what we are to do, guys. Get trained up and uh, go out. Go make Jesus known. We're to fulfill the Great Commission. You guys are the athletes in the church, and you're going to the mission field. And it might be a long-term mission. It could be a short-term mission. Um, it might be across the street to your neighbor's house. That might be your mission. It could be in your workplace, you know, maybe even to the ends of the earth. Jesus has called you to the work. What is your calling? I want to encourage you to, when you wake up in the morning, to ask the Lord, you know, I know I'm supposed to be zealous for good works, Lord. What do you have for me today? What is my calling? You know, and he will speak to his kids. I believe God speaks to his kids. Just because I was a missionary out on the field for 19 years, it doesn't mean I'm any more spiritual than you. You guys hear from the same God that I hear from, Right? And he wants to speak to you and direct you and guide you. He's created these good works. We just have to be faithful to walk in them. Just take that first step. Okay, Lord, you, you spoke to this to me. I believe you spoke to me. I'm going to take a step of faith and do it. You know, and, and if the Lord is really speaking that to you, he'll give you confirmation from his word. He'll give you confirmation from your senior pastor and other leaders around you. Right? It's not going to be too scary. I guess we can put it that way. Um, so we, have, we, we are called to have a walk worthy of the calling in which we were called. We're to be zealous for good works as believers. The beautiful thing is we don't need to create these good works again. We just need to be faithful to walk in them. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You can turn there if you like. It says, but you shall receive power, right? And as a young believer, I was like, what is this power? You know, I wanted to know what it is. And as a young believer, I'd look around at different churches 
while this guy looks like he has power, he's rolling around on the floor, right? I'm like, is that, is that the power? And uh, I came to, to know very quickly, oh, that's not the power. It says, but you shall rece- receive power. And it tells us about the power. You shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. Oh, it's getting exciting. The Holy Spirit coming upon you. The Holy Spirit under your skin, right? And it says, and you shall be witnesses to me. You shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. It doesn't necessarily mean you will be a bold witness, but it's talking about you shall receive power so you could live your life as a witness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Do you guys want this power? Yeah, me too. I want to be used by the Lord. And, and it's nice to know that, that um, I don't have to muster up anything. It's the Lord doing it through me because I know I can't do anything on, uh, in my own self. So you'll be a witness to me in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. We can reach out to people in our own neighborhood, our place of empo- employment and beyond. You know, you're on the, the team right? You're, you're on the team and you need to know what position you play. What does the Lord have for you? Sadly, the church has often interpreted this command as something to be completed sequentially. First, we take care of our needs at home. Then we move out toward the ends of the earth. Um, other churches have responded to the call to the farthest corners of the world and skipped over their Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria. But we are called and empowered by the Spirit to be witnesses in our community, our Jerusalem, our country, our Judea, among people of uh, differing cultures, backgrounds who live around us, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth, simultaneously, not sequentially. You never see someone on a football team that doesn't know their position, right? That would be the losing team for sure if they didn't know what position they were supposed to play. So the question is to you, what position do you play in the economy of God, right? Um, We are all not the senior pastor. We are all not the worship leader. We are all not the evangelist. But, you know, each of us does have a position. I believe God speaks to his kids. And again, when you wake up in the morning, ask the Lord, what do you have for me, Lord? Your Lord will guide you. Your leadership will help confirm your calling. When it comes to missions, my home church in California is very big on missions. They have 68 missionaries on the website, and they're supporting these different missionaries in different capacities. You know, you can't do everything. So some they just pray for. Sometimes they're financially supporting uh, care groups, uh, going for visits, and member care. If you attend our church, you'll quickly realize it's a missions church. My pastor would say, you don't need to pray if you should go and do missions. You need to pray if you should not go, because we're all called to go, right? Each one of us has been commissioned. Because we are, um, I understand that sometimes you can't go. Maybe there's a physical reason why you can't go anywhere, but you can be used right where you're at. We can't do anything in our own strength, but it's God who gives us the desires and the ability to do what he wants us to do. In Philippians chapter 2, verse 13, you can turn there. It says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for his good pleasure. Do all things without complaining and disputing, that you may become blameless and harmless children 
of God without fault in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world, holding fast the word of life, so that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain or labored in vain. You know, um, some have you guys ever gone out evangelizing? You know, I'm just curious. This is one thing you can do. Raise your hand if you've ever gone out evangelizing. Man, that's a wild thing, isn't it? You wake up in the morning, you know you're going to go share your faith, and all of a sudden you're thinking, well, I'm good, past, I'm, I'm really happy Pastor Corey's coming because I'm not saying anything today, you know? You start leaning on the other people that are, that are there. And, um, but it seems like as soon as you share your faith with somebody, it's like almost impossible to stop you from sharing the rest of the day. You're just lit. You go. I remember um, sometimes having the fear of, of man, fear of man's face, you know, and uh, we, were, we were witnessing in the slums, and uh, we like the Ray Comfort style, so, you know, have you ever told a lie? And the person goes, oh yeah, I've told lies. You know, have you ever stolen anything? Because I'm thinking about stealing right now. He was looking at us, and he, he was thinking about robbing us right now, and we just kept going. We showed him that, you know, he's, he's a, a sinner in need of a savior, and uh, these few people ended up surrendering their life to Christ. I want to encourage us to just to go out, live your faith, and share your faith. And uh, just be that light in the dark place. Don't take your light and hide it under your bed. Don't take your light and hide it under a basket where nobody can see it. You know, take your light and go uh, be lightlings out there. Uh, just live your faith, and you, you have that power. You have the Spirit to help you. You can't do it on your own in your own strength anyway. So that's my encouragement for you today. So as we're leaving the door today, go make Jesus known, right? You are now entering the mission field. God bless you guys.